Amen. So good to see all of you this morning. Welcome to the Oasis. If you're visiting with us or this is your first Sunday, we are so glad to have you. And though Tony mentioned these things, I just want to repeat them again because we sort of have a very unusual week. Don't forget that the next two Wednesdays, the 22nd and the 29th, we do not have our normal midweek service. We always take the Wednesday before Christmas and the Wednesday after Christmas off. But on January the 5th, we will start back up our midweek service, and we're going to be back in the book of Genesis. And we hope that many of you will decide what a, best, what a great time to start coming to Bible study, starting a new habit maybe of coming to midweek service uh, January the 5th. And then, as Tony said, our annual Christmas Eve candlelight service is this coming Friday night, 7 o'clock, right here. We will have you out at 8 o'clock. We know that many of you have family stuff on, on Christmas Eve. So we'll just, we just do an hour service from 7 to 8 on Friday. And then this coming Sunday, the next Sunday, the 26th, though we've been having two services now for several months, uh, we're just going to have one service at 10 o'clock next Sunday. So don't forget about that. If you come to 9, you'll miss it. If you come to 11, you'll miss it. So for one Sunday, you need to, because then on January the 2nd, we'll go back to two services at 9 and 11. Joshua chapter 4. We are in the middle, actually not even in the middle, but we're in the midst of a series through the book of Joshua. And... Um, as we're going through this, God is reminding us that he wants to work with us personally, individually. He has a plan and purpose for us individually, but he also has a plan and purpose for us as a community of believers, as a church, just as he did the nation of Israel. God not only works personally with each of us, but he works with us as groups of God followers. He's always done that throughout history. He not only wants to move individuals forward with him, he wants to move groups of people forward with him. And it's in that dynamic that you and I will really grow when we become part of a community of believers that is moving with God. Because one of the things we've learned in the book of Joshua is that God wants to move us with him, move us into new territory, move us into new experiences, down unfamiliar paths, as we talked about last week. God always has something new for his people to experience with him, okay? And so in the first chapter, uh, Joshua said, God is ready to give us more. God is ready for us to experience more. Are we ready as a group of people to move to the moving of God? And as they began to move to the moving of God, we saw in Joshua chapter 2 that God wants us to bring along with us more and more people as we travel with God. So we saw the great story of Rahab and her family coming to faith in God, Jehovah, and for the Israelites then to sort of pick her up as they will come into Jericho uh, in chapter 6. Then last week, we saw that God brought them to the brink of the Jordan River at flood stage, an impossible obstacle to pass on their own. But God wanted to show himself strong on behalf of his people. 
He wanted to show them that he would be faithful to what he promised them. And no matter what challenges or obstacles were in their way, they could cross those obstacles and go through those things with him and get to the other side. God always wants his people to know he can bring us to the other side. Now today in chapter 4, if there's one word that we could use to sort of summarize the chapter, it would be the word remembrance. And remembrance is going to be part of our worship. And if I could just sort of quickly outline where we're going to be going, and then we're going to get into the chapter and flow through it today, no pun intended, going through the river, that God wants to teach his people this and remind us of this. God wants us to walk with him, okay? That's where it starts. To move to the moving of God in our life. As we walk with him, we will then witness his moving, his working, his power, his miracles that he wants to do as we walk with him. So we have to be willing to walk with him, go down those unfamiliar paths, cross those Jordan rivers in order to experience and witness the power and the miracles and the moving and the working of God. As we do that, then we must get to a place that we're coming to in chapter 4 where we stop and we remember to worship God for what we've just experienced. And worship has two aspects to it. It has a rejoicing aspect, as we do here, a praising and exalting, an adoring of God, but it also has a remembrance aspect two kinds or two sides of worship, rejoicing and remembering. And the reason why God wants to build remembrances into our life of worship is because by remembering the things that God has done in our past, by remembering what he has brought us through in the past, it can be a tremendous encouragement to us in the present. Then our worship, when we worship God that way, in that kind of fashion, then we witness to those who don't know God, about our God, you see. So that's the progression. Walk, witness, worship, and witness. So let's look at this as we flow through the chapter this morning. Come with me to Joshua chapter 4, and you'll notice it says, when the entire nation was on the other side. That's significant. Again, an entire nation, a whole group of people moved to the moving of God. You know, I've kidded about this, but you can't get a group of Christians to do anything together anymore. And here was the whole nation of Israel were willing to buy in. Now I realize, yes, they saw for 40 years the tragic consequences of those who didn't believe and didn't trust God, but still to get everybody across the Jordan River was significant. And here's one of the reasons why. God doesn't want to leave anybody behind. And God wants to teach his people that every last person, not just the leaders, not just certain groups within the large group, but that every last person in that group can learn to cross Jordan River, can learn to be overcomers, because that's exactly what this word means when it says they went on the other side. It figuratively means in the Hebrew to overcome. 
God wants all of his people to learn to be overcomers. And as we do that collectively even or corporately as a group, what an encouragement to one another. And what, what a great experience to be able to look back on even as a group and remind each other then through the years, hey, we did this together. And if we can do this together, we can do this individually. We can do this personally. And if we did this together once, we can do this together again. God wants his people to learn to overcome. He's not going to take away all the obstacles of our life. He's not going to take away those challenges and those insurmountable things. He wants us to learn to trust in him and in his almighty power and realize, as Paul says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or as a corporate body, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Do we really believe that? In the book of Revelation, Jesus' message to seven churches, and in each of those messages, he ends his message to those churches by saying, to the one who overcomes, to the one who overcomes, here's what I will do. In other words, the implication is, even talking to his people, not everyone will learn to be an overcomer. Not every Christian, not every church will learn to be overcomers, even though that's God's desire, that's God's heart, that we learn not to come up to these Jordan rivers, to these rivers at flood stage in our life and shrink back and fall back and never be willing to trust God to take us through that. No, God wants his people to learn. It doesn't matter whether it's a Red Sea or a Jordan River or a Jericho with walls so high that you can't even imagine crossing or coming over them. It doesn't matter what the obstacle or challenge is. We can do it all through Christ who strengthens us. So that's significant. All the people at this point in Israel's history crossed over to the other side. But then notice, the Lord told Joshua, select for yourselves 12 men from the people, one per tribe. Instruct them, pick up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests stand firmly and carry them over with you and put them in the place where you camp tonight. Now, again, I want to remind us, as we saw last week, the spiritual leaders of Israel, those priests, needed to touch that water with their feet before God would part the water and cut it off and stop it upstream, and so it would begin to pile up up there. And it was a reminder that they stood firmly on dry ground. God not only did a miracle by stopping the water and not only by causing it to pile up, he caused another miracle by instantaneously drying out the ground of a riverbed so that they could stand firmly there in the middle of a Jordan River. And God is reminding his people that it is not our circumstances that gives us safety, security, and stability. It is our God. And we can be firm on our God and in our God at all times, no matter what our circumstances or situation is. And that's exactly what we see here with the priest standing firmly in the middle of the Jordan River, and then for each of those men to go in and gather those stones out of the middle. That took faith on their part because they know what this river looked like before God stopped the water. It was like many of the rivers here that take people's lives every year during monsoon with the flash floods. You wouldn't 
want to go into that kind of water. You'd be putting your life, you know, on the line in that kind of water. It can wash you away and, and obviously drown many people. And so for them to do it, it really showed the kind of faith that God is looking for in his people. Are we willing to step out in faith and trust God to his leading, no matter what it looks like, because God, again, is trying to train us and teach his people to walk by faith, not by sight, to trust him and his word and his guidance and his leading. So verse 4 says, Joshua summoned the 12 men. He had appointed from the Israelites one per tribe. Joshua told them, go in front of the ark of the Lord your God to the middle of the Jordan, and each of you is to put a stone on his shoulder. Well, that's significant. These weren't just little stones. These were significantly large stones because the men had to hoist them up and put them and carry them out of the Jordan on their shoulder. These would have been large stones that were used, you see. And then it said, according to the number of the Israelite tribes, then verse 6, the stones will be a reminder, a sign, a memorial in order to remember as a memory aid. That is so important. God says, look, I know that you're human and that you easily forget. <laughs> in fact, there's a verse that Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy. He says, be careful not to forget the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Be careful, he says, not to forget the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. You, you would think, you look back at that story and go, how could those people ever forget? They were slaves for 400 years under, you know, Pharaoh and all of that, and then they saw the plagues that God brought, and they saw the parting of the Red Sea, and they saw all these things. Yeah, it's still possible to forget which is why even Jesus in the New Testament told his followers, I need you to do this communion, this last supper, if you will, with me, this Lord's table in remembrance of me. And I need you to do it on a pretty regular basis so that you don't forget the sacrifice that I made for you. You think, oh, how could we as Christians ever forget? Well, we do. We forget because we do not keep God, in a sense, in our consciousness at all times. We, we can go through, you know, hours of a day and, and even days of a week and weeks of a year or month and months out of a year and just sort of put it on automatic pilot and go through our life and not really bring God into the very center of all that we're doing and thinking and planning and all of that. God can sort of become part of the fringe of our life, but not the very center of our life because we're forgetting him and the primacy and the priority that he should have in each of our lives as his followers. And therefore, it is very important that you and I learn as part of our worship, not just to rejoice, but also as they're doing here, to remember let me ask you, have you gathered any stones in your own life recently? Are there things that you tangibly hold on to 
to remind you of the faithfulness and the grace and the goodness and the love of God in your life, things that you can look back on, things that you can touch. And not only that, God says it's not only important to, to do that, but it's not only a memory aid, it's also a teaching aid. Because notice what God goes on to say in verse 6. When your children or any in another generation or maybe even a friend or a co-worker or someone else, a neighbor, asks you someday, why are these stones important to you? You and I can have an answer. We have something to tell them of how the water of the Jordan stopped flowing before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The water of the Jordan stopped flowing, and these stones then will be a lasting memorial for the Israelites, a memento to remind or remember God's faithfulness and power in their life always. And God wants us to do that in our way. What is it? How is it? that you and I can continually remember and remind ourselves about God's faithfulness and promises so that not only we will have a fuel and foundation for our own worship of God and be encouraged in the present by the things that God has brought us through or done for us in the past, but it's also a teaching aid that is very visible and evident so that when other people come by and go, what's that or what's that for? Or, why do you do that? Or why do you pause to do that? Then it opens up a witness for us, a, a time for us to be able to witness and tell others about our God and about what our God has done for us. Let me give you one significant one, and you're sitting in it, if you will, today. This whole piece of land, this five acres here in Gilbert, Arizona, is a standing stone for God. Every time you pass this property, this is a time to say, this is what God did. This is how God opened up this property. This is the story we have to tell about God's faithfulness and his power. We can even go all the way back to the beginning of this church 12 years ago now when we met at Basha High School for the first nine plus years. And if you know the story of that, you know that even Basha High School sort of stands as a standing stone. If you know the story of how that school opened up to us, how there were no schools available. I mean, every church was meeting in a school at that point, right? and how God just miraculously opened up that school for us to begin to meet in on Easter Sunday, by the way. I mean, you go back and you begin to recount and remind yourself of what God has done here. This church alone can be a testimony and a witness. This location, this building, all of it can be a stone of remembrance so that not only we never forget what God did, but as others pass by, we can say, let me tell you what my God did. And God not only wants us corporately to have those things in our life that we can always point back to or look back to, God wants us to implement those things individually into our lives, into, as he says there, even into our family fabric 
so that even as our children and grandchildren and whatnot come along, we have things that we can point back to and say, let me tell you about your God. Let me tell you about what our God has done. So you see here the progression. Walking with God provides us an opportunity to witness his moving, his working, his power, his miracles that he wants to do, but only as we walk with him and are willing to cross those Jordans. And then as we get to that point, we need to stop and worship him. We need to rejoice in who our God is and what he's brought us through, but we also need to remember and we need to set aside times of remembrance and things of remembrance so that we never forget our God and how good he is, how great he is, how gracious he is. And that's exactly what's happening here. God wants to build it into the DNA of his people. So notice, verse 8, the Israelites did just as Joshua commanded. They picked up 12 stones according to the number of the Israelite tribes. And again, I would just simply encourage us, take time when God has done something in your life to gather some stones. Take time in your life to gather some stones so that you don't forget what God has done. Then they carried them over with them to the camp and put them there. Joshua also, notice, set up another place. He set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the very place where the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant and stood, and they remain there to this day. So there were sort of two memorials. One in the camp of the Israelites and one smack dab right in the middle of the Jordan River where the people cross. And I believe if it was possible and the Jordan River would sort of come down that you could probably see those 12 huge stones somewhere there in the Jordan River to this day. Now the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people was accomplished. God is looking for people, not only to remember him and rejoice in him, but he's looking for people in, in, amongst his people who are willing to stand in the middle of a Jordan River at flood day. Are you that kind of person? Great if you are, and if not, do you know that God wants to get you there? to where you could be that kind of person that was willing to hold their position and take their stand, even in the middle of the Jordan River, you're standing there and you're going, but there's all kinds of water right there. And that water could come back on me at any time and take my life. Yeah, but God said, do this, so I'm going to do it. God's looking for people like that, people who are going to stand firm with him and on him and on his promises, no matter what it looks like. No matter how chaotic and crazy the world gets, God wants a stable people in him, a settled people in him. God is looking for that today, to know that we're standing on solid ground. And then it says the people went across quickly, verse 10 at the end. I love this because in the Hebrew, it's sort of a play on words. It says, even though God stopped the river from flowing, the people flowed across quickly. That's literally what it means in the Hebrew. So the river stopped flowing quickly, but the people flowed by quickly. They didn't dilly-dally. They moved. Verse 11, 
When all the people had finished crossing, then the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed as the people looked on. I love this. Remember last week, we said that the ark of the covenant, which represents the very presence of God amongst his people, went into the river first. God goes before his people. But now notice, the ark stayed there in the middle of the river until all the people passed, and then the ark came up out of the water behind the people. God is reminding his people, I've got you on all sides. I'm going before you. I'm coming after you. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to look at at verses, and even next week, a psalm that talks about God surrounding his people and shadowing his people. God is on all sides of his people. There's nowhere in your life or my life or in our life corporately as a body of believers that God has not surrounded us and doesn't have our backs, our fronts, our sides everywhere. God is with us. We're simply the cream and a God Oreo, if you will. Verse 13, because there were still people in the land that have not been taken out yet, notice about 40,000 troops, battle-ready troops, marched past the Lord to fight on the plains of Jericho. God is not only looking amongst his people for those who are willing to stand in the middle of the Jordan River and trust him and hold their position and take their stand for God. God is looking for spiritual soldiers for warriors, for those who aren't afraid to fight the good fight and and to, to be his spiritual warfare elite force, if you will, that he can use in, in the spiritual battles of life. That day the Lord brought honor to Joshua before all Israel. They respected him all his life just as they had respected Moses. Then look at 15 through 18. The Lord told Joshua, instruct the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenantal Law to come up now from the Jordan. So Joshua instructed the priest, come up from the Jordan. And the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the middle of the Jordan. And as soon as they set foot on dry land, the water of the Jordan flowed again and returned to flood stage. Don't miss that the timing of all this is clear evidence that this was a supernatural event. This was a miraculous work of Jehovah. This was not something that man could do. This was something that only God could do. Only God could start the river, in a sense, from not flowing, and it was God who then said, once all my people and the ark are out, now it can start flowing again. God controlled the flow of that river because God is in control. God is always in control. God is always on his throne, and we can trust him. The people went up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and camped in Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Now, this was a momentous day in Israel's history. This, in a sense, was the first day for them in the promised land. But it was also somewhat of a tragic day. I say that because this day was delayed for 40 years by the unbelief of that former generation. You see, they could have been there 40 years earlier, but they weren't. And by the way, something else that's interesting, 
Why does Moses tell us it was on the uh, 10th day of the first month? Because that was exactly, if you go back to Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, that was exactly 40 years to the day that they left Egypt. They left Egypt on the 10th day of the first month. And now God is bringing them into the land on the 10th day of the first month. Exactly 40 years to the day. Only God can do that. So yes, a great day, but in some ways a tragic day. I think to myself, I don't want our church to not go across and experience things with God because God couldn't take us there because we weren't willing to go and it was delayed for one generation or two generations or however long. How sad that that group could not experience what God had for them and that this generation had to wait for 40 years to actually experience it. But then there's something else I want you to notice. Gilgal becomes a very significant place. It is not only the first place of worship in the promised land, and they're going to erect a place of worship there in Gilgal that actually is very sacred to Israelites to this day. It also became their military base of operations in the promised land. Don't miss that connection. Their military base of operations, Gilgal, was also the same place as their place of worship. What's that tell us? We war better as Christians out of a place of worship. And that worship in itself is warfare. There's always going to be that battle even within us individually of who or what do we worship. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Our first love, Jesus says to the Ephesian church, is him. And yet that battle goes on because the Bible talks to us about little children, keep yourself from idols, anything that takes the place and primacy of God in our life. We all have that battle. Churches have that battle of keeping God at the center rather than so many other things that churches can get preoccupied with. Let's be preoccupied with God. Let's be captivated with him and then seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things will take care of themselves. But worship is warfare, and God created us as human beings to be worshipers, and we're going to worship something or someone. The question is, who or what will it be? And so it's very significant that the first place of worship was also the military base of operations, Gilgal. Remember that place. But then we come down to verse 22 or 21. When are your children again? Someday ask their fathers, what do these stones represent? Explain to your children, to the next generation, or to anyone who's asking. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And then verse 23, just like God dried up the Red Sea. I couldn't help but think of what Peter says when he says, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in your hearts and be always ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We are to have answers for people. Not that we have all the answers. Not that, you know, so many Christians, like, I, I can't witness, I can't talk to people about God because I don't have the, the biblical knowledge. No, no, if, if you understand 
It's, it's having answers about what God's done in your life, in your midst, in your church. It's not about trying to have all the answers. None of us have all the answers. It's about being able to answer them for what we know God has done with us and that we should know. We should be experiencing God fresh and new every week and month and year that goes by in our life so that we have stories to tell. Because God then basically sums up this whole purpose in verse 24. He, God, has done this so. Most of the time you see that little word in the Bible, the purpose of God is coming right after it. So that the Lord's power, that the nations of the earth might recognize the Lord's power. Let's stop there. That's, that's witness, right? It is so that people who don't even know God have revelation of God's might and strength and power that he's exhibiting, notice, in and through his people. Not through them, through us. But if we, as a group of Christians or God followers, are not crossing Jordan rivers and moving to the moving of God and experiencing his might and his power and his miracles, then we're going to limit ourselves as to the witness of God and his power and might and strength to others around us. It is only when we move to God and go crossing Jordan rivers and Red Seas in our own life and as a corporate body can then we point and say, let me tell you what God has done. And then, that's not the only purpose. Not only so that those who don't know God, the nations of the earth might recognize the Lord's power, but so that God's people might obey the Lord your God. By the way, this word obey means to stand in awe and wonder of God in worship. You see, why does the Net Bible translate it then, obey? Because in the Old Testament especially, obedience was born out of our worship, just like warfare was born out of our worship. When you and I stand in awe and wonder of God, we'll be more apt to follow. We'll be more apt to obey. When we lose our awe and wonder of God, that's where we start to go down as the people of God. Read the Old Testament prophets. God, in all of his glory, camped right there in the temple. And the people of God began to lose their awe and wonder of God. And what happened then, like in the book of Ezekiel, the glory of God left and departed. Why did they go into exile? Why did God allow the Assyrians to overtake them? Why did God send them into exile in Babylon? Because the people of God had lost their awe and wonder of God. When you and I maintain our awe and wonder of God in our life through our worship, all those other things begin to take care of themselves. And that's exactly what God's purpose was here. He's saying to his people today, as he said to the Israelites, I'm ready. I'm looking for a group of people. Yes, these principles can be applied to us individually. But here in the book of Joshua, the context is a group of people, a nation, a church, a community of believers, a corporate body. God is looking for a group of people who are willing to move with him and walk with him. And that may mean crossing Jordan River. 
But as we do that, then we witness through that experience the might of God, the power of our God, the strength of our God, the miracles of our God that we could never experience or engage with him by not moving and walking and crossing with him. Then as we witness his might and power, then we are able to worship him even more for who he is and what he has done. And it is through our worship of rejoicing and remembering that then sets us up to be able to witness more for him. I think part of the reason today why the church today is not making a greater impact on the world around us is because as a church, as churches, we're not really walking with God, therefore experiencing the might and power and miracles of God so that we're truly worshiping him and standing in awe and wonder of him so that our witness for him can be as strong as it needs to be. And God is saying to us today, I don't want that at the Oasis Church. I want the Oasis Church to be a church out of hopefully other churches that are willing to say, God, we're ready. We'll go with you. Because, Lord, we not only want to walk with you, we want to witness what you alone can do. And we want to make sure that as we witness it and as you allow us the privilege and honor of being part of your moving and working, that we stop and worship you that we make sure that we rejoice in who you are and what you've done and that we remember it always so that we do not forget the Lord our God. And as we live that way, God, we know then that you're going to put us into contact with people who don't know you, that we'll be able to look at certain things and point to certain things and relay certain stories out of our own experience with you, God, that can tell others about what kind of God you are, that you're a God that saves that you're a God that delivers. You're a God who rescues. You're a God who sets people free. You're a God who transforms lives. And Lord, we are part of that experience and we want to share that with others. Oh, that we might get on board and travel with God like never before. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, I ask you today, that you would just, Lord, lay a foundation of faith in this church. Lord, that as a group of people, Lord, we'd be willing to go with you wherever you want to take us, God. No matter how high the obstacle or insurmountable the obstacle is, Lord, that we'll trust you. And know that, Lord, it's only when we're willing to travel with you that we'll truly experience all that you want us to experience with you and in you. And, Lord, make us a worshipful people always, a people who are always rejoicing but always also always remembering, giving us that encouragement, Lord, even for the present. As we look back over your demonstrations of faithfulness and power in our life and seeing all that you've brought us through. And Lord, make sure that we're seizing those opportunities to relate your faithfulness and power to others, whether it's our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our coworkers, those we go to school with, our other family members. Lord, whoever you bring us into contact with, Lord, help us to seize those opportunities to let them know how great and good and gracious our God is. We're here to praise you, God. And that's what we want to do as we end this service today. 
We want to thank you for your faithfulness and power in our life, knowing, Lord, that never once did we ever walk alone, God. In these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.